Hey, Wiki listeners, it's Rachel. And Victor, did you know I host the fantastic NYC Talent Show every Monday night at the Parkside Lounge in New York City? It's an off-off Broadway showcase where you can see New York's underground performance art up close. We've got weekly special guests like Colin Quinn, Janine Garofalo, Tone Bell, and lots more. Use the code WIKILISTEN for a special discount on tickets when you go to nyctalentshow.com. That's nyctalentshow.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Wikipedia page for Rain Follows the Plow. Welcome to Wiki. This is the podcast where we read Wikipedia pages and provide commentary. I am Victor Vernado, KSN. And I'm Rachel Teichman, LMSW, reminding you to subscribe. Yeah, everybody subscribe now this is about a superstition that was a part of the american west like a superstition that comes from the old west i guess so i don't know much about it but i do know that this article was suggested by our very own editor rob paravonian oh yeah rob paravonian he edits the heck out of this show and he also suggests things thanks rob Let's, let's give this a read rain follows the plow Rain Follows the Plow is the conventional name for a now-discredited theory of climatology that was popular throughout the American West and Australia during the late 19th century. The phrase was employed as a summation of the theory by Charles Dana Wilbur. Quote, God speed the plow by this wonderful provision, which is only man's mastery over nature. The clouds are dispensing copious rains. The plow is the instrument which separates civilization from savagery and converts a desert into a farm or a garden. To be more concise, rain follows the plow. The basic premise of the theory was that human habitation and agriculture through homesteading affected a permanent change in the climate of arid and semi-arid regions, making these regions more humid. The theory was widely promoted in the 1870s as a justification for the settlement of the Great Plains, a region previously known as the Great American Desert. 
It was also used to justify the expansion of wheat growing on marginal land in South Australia during the same period. According to the theory, increased human settlement in the region and cultivation of soil would result in an increased rainfall over time, rendering the land more fertile and lush as the population increased. As later historical records of rainfall indicated, the theory was based on faulty evidence arising from brief climatological fluctuations that happened to coincide with settlement, an example of the logical fallacy that correlation means causation. The theory was later refuted by climatologists and is now definitively regarded as false. That is really funny. That doesn't seem that funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) North America. The theory arose in the late 1860s and 1870s as American settlement expanded west of the Missouri River and across the 100th Meridian West. This was the traditional boundary line between the humid and semi-arid portions of central North America. Specifically, in the early part of the decade, white settlement had spread into central and western Nebraska along the Platte River. Emigrants on the Oregon Trail began reporting that the land in western Nebraska, previously known for its yellowed, dry vegetation during the summer, had seemingly become green. Out of this evidence, some scientists concluded that the apparent increase in rain was due to the settlement and the effects of cultivation. One of the most prominent exponents of the theory in the United States was Cyrus Thomas, who was a noted ethnologist and entomologist but only an amateur climatologist at best. After studying the recent history of Colorado, he concluded that the increase in moisture was permanent and that it coincided exactly with the first settlers cultivating of the land. Other prominent advocates of the theory were Ferdinand van de Veer Hayden, the noted geographer who had explored and surveyed parts of the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, Samuel Augie, a professor at the University of Nebraska, and Charles Dana Wilbur, an amateur scientist and author. Wiki listeners, you can help support us by listening to this quick message while you learn that correlation is not causation. Thank you for listening to that message, Wiki listeners. And now let's go do some more dunking on climatologists. <laughs> All right. Time to dunk, but not with your Dunkin' Donuts. Oh my gosh. Terrible. Yeah, it was. Thomas and other climatologists offered a variety of explanations for the theory. A common idea was that the plowing of the soil for cultivation exposed the soil's moisture to the sky. In addition, newly planted trees and shrubs increased rainfall as well, as did smoke from trains or even the metal in the rails or the telegraph wires. Another hypothesis stated that the increased vibrations in the atmosphere due to human activity created additional clouds from which rain fell. This idea led to the widespread dynamiting of the air across the Great Plains in the 1870s. The theory was widely embraced in its day, not only by scientists, but land speculators and immigrants. Some historians have argued that the theory was embraced readily as an outgrowth of Manifest Destiny, the idea that the United States had a mission to expand, spreading its form of democracy and freedom. The theory is regarded as partially responsible for the rapid settlement of the Great Plains in the later 19th century in the Great Valleys and Prairies of Nebraska and the Northwest, published in 1881, Charles Dana Wilbur wrote... 
In this miracle of progress, the plow was unerring prophet, the procuring cause, not by any magic or enchantment, not by incarnations or offerings, but instead by the sweat of his face toiling with his hands, men can persuade the heavens to yield their treasures of dew and rain upon the land he has chosen for his dwelling. The raindrop never fails to fall in answer to the imploring power or prayer of labor. William Gilpin, the first territorial governor of Colorado and an aide to President Abraham Lincoln, was a proponent of this theory. Gilpin was a strong believer in the idea of manifest destiny. One of his books was called The Mission of the North American People. He strongly promoted Western settlement and invoked this theory as one of his reasons for people to migrate west. Climatologists now understand that increased vegetation and urbanization can result in increased precipitation. Citation needed. The effect, however, is local in scope, with increased rainfall typically coming at the expense of rainfall in nearby areas. It cannot result in a climatological change for an entire region. They also understand that the Great Plains had had a wetter than usual few seasons while this theory was developed and increasing settlement were both taking place. When normal arid conditions return, homesteaders suffered. In 2007, Richard Radatz, a climatologist at the University of Winnipeg, published results of his studies on the conversion of Canadian grasslands to cropland. His theory is that because corn crops transpire moisture into the atmosphere at a faster rate than the grass they have replaced, crops can generate storms and intensify the season during which water can cycle through the atmosphere. Okay, so they're saying that like it kind of works, but not quite. Yeah, that sounds accurate. Yeah, because, I mean, in my paragraph, they said that climatologists now understand that increased vegetation and urbanization can result in increased precipitation. So that's kind of like what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, the effects of that are maybe not as strong as what they thought. Right, but it's not that it's no effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, because previously in this article, they are just like, those guys are idiots. But anyway, it kind of works. <laughs> That's what it sounds like this article is saying. Observed trends of Midwest summertime cooling and increased rainfall over the last third of the 20th century have been linked to agricultural practices in the arid Great Plains in an inversion of the Dust Bowl scenario. Increased precipitation and humidity may cause the downward trend in Midwestern average daytime highs since humid air takes more energy to heat to a given temperature than dry air. In turn, the increase in Midwestern rainfall may be driven by the large increase in and under irrigation in the plains over the 20th century. Irrigation water enters the atmosphere through evaporation and plant transpiration and then falls as rain over the downwind Midwest. Australia. At the same time that the theory existed in North America, it also existed on the farming frontier in South Australia. There was a spread of farming from the area near Adelaide northwards to areas of much lower rainfall. In South Australia, George Goiter warned as early as 1865 in his famous report on farming in the state that rain would not follow the plow. George Goiter. <laughs> Despite this, 
Until further droughts in the 1880s, farmers talked of cultivating cereal crops up to the Northern Territory border, altitude 26 degrees south. Today, however, grain crops still do not grow further north than corn. That's spelled spelled Q-U-O-R-N. It's corn. Latitude 32 degrees south, as advised by Goiter's original report. Well, Goiter, I guess you won in the end. Way to go, Goiter. Yeah, way to go, Goiter. Goiter. This has been the Wikipedia page for Rain Follows the Plow. Thanks for listening to Wikilisten. You can find us at wikilisten.com and on all social media and on TikTok at Wikilisten, except for Twitter, which is at wiki underscore listen. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button with your climatology. If there's a particular page you'd like us to read, let us know. We'll read it.